0: And welcome to this edition of the Ronjiro Japan Podcast, the place where we talk about everything related to Japan, and we talk to people who love Japan. Anyone who set up a business knows it's a difficult challenge, but anyone who set up a business in Japan knows there are special challenges to setting it up here. Today we'll be talking with Kevin Hamilton. He's a businessman. He's also a creative director in corporate communications. Has a long history here and someone I've known for a long time, so I'm very happy to talk with him today and explore what it's like to have a business here in Japan. Our guest is Kevin Hamilton. I'm your host, JT, and this is Ron Jiru. Let's discuss Japan. Kevin Hamilton, thank you for joining us on the Ronjiro Japan podcast. Thank you, JP. Very nice to talk with you here today. Um, I usually like to start asking my guests to cover how they came to Japan, when it was, what they've been doing since they've been here, and what brought them to where they are today. So, could you let us know, when did you come to Japan? What have you been up to? Okay,
1: well, that's a long story. I came to Japan originally in 1985, so that was 35 years ago now. And, um, that's about it. That's about it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Working at Japanese companies?
1: I'm originally from Nashville. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I developed an interest in Japan from a, a young age. And then when I got into college, I met some Japanese students and my interest in Japan intensified. And then I had an opportunity to come here, um, in the mid 1980s, and I did. I thought I'd stay for a couple of years, but uh, got involved in uh, advertising work, copywriting work and, uh, you know, just started enjoying you know living here and doing the work here and getting things done here uh, suited me very well. So before I knew it, time just sort of got away from me and it's just you know, sort of made it my, my career
0: and uh, way of life. So you've been in advertising the whole time or done other things as well? Well, an amalgam of things,
1: but the mainstay has been the advertising work. Uh, I, not long after I came here, um, I answered a, an ad in the Japan Times, and it was an advertising company that were making advertisements and things for communications materials for Japanese companies for overseas markets. And so I joined there. And I uh, had a really good mentor who taught me advertising copywriting. And, um, and I did more than that. I did a lot of other aspects of, you know, the advertising business. And so I've worked at a variety of companies. I've worked freelance and uh, worked for some major companies. I also spent some time working inside an advertising part, department for a big uh, Japanese multinational company. Oh, well, how was that? Well, it was big and it was multinational. <laughs> yes, but it's, it was client side instead of agency. It was client side, side so that's um, yeah. There's that's something you know. I've I've been on both sides of the the table, mm-hmm. and um, you know there's benefits to both sides, I guess. But um, then five years ago, I started my own company with uh, an American business partner, and uh, primarily doing you know copywriting work or you know content development work for the web and for marketing campaigns Mm -hmm. and um so yeah we've grown up to about six people now and we work with a lot of outsourced people creative people so i suppose there's about 15 or 20 people of us that are working together pretty much you know week to week when did you start your company in 2015 so five years
0: coming up on yeah five years five years well congratulations oh, thank most new businesses are they say three years is the tough part and after that it gets easier has it gotten easier
1: well it's never easy it's it's never easy um, um but there's always the, the, you know these japanese companies you know always have something that they have to publish in english so um you know Sometimes, sometimes times are good and sometimes times are hard, but, you know, there's always, always something has to get produced. So I can always find, we can always find, you know, work pretty much
0: what we're doing. Do you have a favorite field um, in, in terms of clients? Uh, you do a lot of both B2B, B2C and also government work. Is there something that you find more enjoyable than, than the others?
1: Well, yes, most of the things that I've done over the years have, has been B2B. It's mm-hmm. very sort of straightforward and conservative mm-hmm. and kind of executive to executive, you know, mindset. Um, but we have done a little bit of B2C and we're doing more and more. Uh, what we're doing is B2C over in sort of the entertainment sector and the music, mm-hmm. music products and merchandise and things like that. Mm-hmm. And that's something that we're uh, just now getting started in, and so over the next five years, we it's sort of a new dimension of our company that we want to grow.
0: Yes, uh, because I I know you, I can I can bring this up. You you have a music background um, from way back in university days, or shortly thereafter, if I'm not wrong.
1: Well, yes, I was before I came to Japan. I'm from Nashville, mm-hmm. and um, was raised there. And I um, I think career-wise, originally I started in, you know, graphic arts printing. Yes. So I was a, a pressman, press mm-hmm. operator for mm-hmm. a while, and mm-hmm. I did various things in the graphics art business there. And in university, I studied uh, the music and entertainment business and uh, joined a company that was actually doing music marketing. And um, then, uh, yes... Uh, It was then that i had the opportunity to come to japan and came here and got involved in advertising and of course advertising does also involves you know certain dimensions of music development and the music business so it's it's still you know sort of been something i've been connected to
0: sure i'm quite happy for you to mention the name of your company um uh, maybe give it a plug let people know what it is that you do um and how uh, you're moving into the music business uh, in addition to the sort of traditional uh, both online and offline advertising uh, creative what production uh, that you do right yeah uh,
1: we're called Ubique, mm-hmm. and what we were established to do were basically help companies whether it's you know these big japanese companies or even advertising agencies that need help you know with english language primarily english language you know materials or you know advertising you know campaigns and things like that mm-hmm. and uh you know in the past uh, a certain amount of foreign people have been hired you know inside of these companies to do that type of work but it was especially five years ago the trend was that that type of work was outsourced so um That's one of the reasons we established the companies, because uh, there was a need for it. And Mm -hmm. it was something, you know, we were good at and we can do. Mm -hmm. do. And uh, as we got started, you know, primarily, we were originally just writing English, you know, for um, a variety of needs. And then um, we got called upon to, like, make a video and then to do this and make a brochure and, you know, just different types of work, you know, started coming in and then we hired a video you know editor and a graphic designer and we hired a full-time you know translator and copywriter and we hired a, a woman that's uh you know responsible for you know uh, handling the clients so we've sort of grown up to you know a little core unit of really good people bilingual people mm-hmm. uh international people uh, we don't actually have japanese in our, in our on our core team that's something we want to add you know over the next year but primarily doing work for overseas it's it isn't that critical um and we all speak well enough you know to deal with japanese clients who can't speak in english
0: mm-hmm. so busy busy well yeah busy
1: you know it's it's creative work so it's it's fun and interesting and we work with a lot of different outsourced people that mm-hmm. you know come through here and we get influenced by you know uh what they do for us and um, we do work with quite a few you know, major companies across several sectors so we get exposed you know So it's, it doesn't really get boring everything is kind of every company is doing something different and although you know at the highest level I suppose you know, the corporate level and corporate governance
0: and corporate communications at that level, they're all trying to do the same thing. (laughs) Sure enough. Um, What kind of publications and things does your work appear in? Uh, I guess, obviously, online is going to be on a website, but for some of the videos and things
1: like that, it shows up on company websites, it shows up in, you know, their YouTube channels, it shows up. uh, We do work for, you know, major media. Our work goes into, like, Wall Street Journal, Mm -hmm. BBC World, and, Mm -hmm. You know, CNBC. So, you know, it
0: goes out into major media. So, a small company that does big work for giant corporations in giant media. I Not guess, yeah, bad. Say that. Well, Happy fifth anniversary. You're getting very you. close. Um, being that diverse and doing that much uh, various tasks and work for for various companies. What made you decide to get uh, to expand even further into the entertainment business? Well, it's. Um I see a need, actually. You know, I mean, I'm,
1: I'm personally interested, and I just find it interesting. And you know, I like, you know, being around musicians and artists. You know, like, you know, being from Nashville, that was just true sure growing up. You
0: know, mm-hmm. uh, my first guest on my podcast was from Nashville. Yes, I
1: know him very well. <laughs> uh, he's a notorious fellow. Yes. Yes. But yes. uh... I see a need uh, right now. There is, you know, people, millions of people all over the world that you know can't get enough of Japan. It's not just the anime or the manga; it is the music. It's everything. And there's uh, there's so much about this country that is yet to be discovered, just because it's cloaked in the veneer of the language. You know, mm-hmm. just information about it or about the people or about an art, an act is just not available in English. Um, and there's just no way to discover it and so you know i do corporate communications work that's just you know just basically simple communications in japanese for j excuse me in english for japanese companies Mm -hmm. can do the same thing for japanese artists and you know i think the major artists you know who work for the big you know you know the big stars you know they've They've got, you know, the resources to do whatever they actually choose to do strategically globally. Mm -hmm. They have access to people that can get their message out in English and can help them. Mm -hmm. But there's this whole middle tier of, you know, of artists here that, you know, don't, that aren't in the mainstream limelight every day. But they're just, you know, amongst the world's best musicians. They're just great players. They're creative people. They're great performers. And, you know, they just can't, you know, get any exposure. Is and that if I want to
0: help them? The, is that the category that's often called indies? I
1: suppose you could say indies. Yes, mm-hmm. I mean there's kind of multiple, you know, definitions and dimensions mm-hmm. to you know indies music. Mm-hmm. And to in a certain degree, there's a major aspect of indies music, and there's also an indies aspect. An indies, indies aspect.
0: It's indies. It's yes. yes. Um, what is the most common genre? But of, it doesn't
1: have. Excuse me. It doesn't have to be like you know indies as much as just an artist for example that you know is a great player is a great you know composer is a great performer you know uh puts together their own image you know uh puts you know takes care of their own sort of communications whether it's through social media maybe even press their own cds and sell it at their live events they've mm-hmm. got their own little core fan base that follows them around Um, but they're just you know limited by what they themselves personally can do and so I would like to sort of set up a you know sort of an infrastructure where you know artists and acts like that can continue doing what they're good at and then you know I could come in and help them with the the global dimension you know getting record getting their first of all getting information about them out there in English sure and second of all getting them you know hopefully a uh, putting them in a situation where they can grow an overseas fan base the way some other, you know, Japanese acts like Baby Metal even or Band made there are a lot of mm. there are a lot of actually Japanese acts that, that if you see it on Facebook there are these these you know uh, fan based groups uh, that's completely fan operated and you know there's just you know hundreds and thousands of people that are just into it and mm. and then you know these people
0: of course connect with that, the bands themselves. <laughs> so are you suggesting that let's use the united states as an example Mm -hmm. that there's a lot of interest in japanese music in the united states which is one of the reasons why you wanted to
1: well i think there's a that subculture of anime yes there's a subculture of people that just think everything about japan is great and they come here you know actually have you know younger family members who come here every year they're just totally into it and they come and see they kind of they come and see the same thing every time but they also add something new each time too and but, you know, it's, it's always pop culture-oriented stuff like the
0: Rambin Museum and, you know, everything related. <laughs> <laughs> is there a genre of Japanese music that's not popular? Uh, I mean, obviously, no, anime, as you said. No, is... I don't know. My
1: attitude about music is it's a, is it's a personal thing, um, you know, personal taste thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there are people out there for everything that's out there, period. And, you know, I would imagine the least accessible Japanese music would be Anka, you know, Oh yes. Um, but when you're actually living here, it's kind of, you know, you're exposed to it. And uh, sure. I don't know. I've never heard of anybody overseas sort of like, you know, being, you know, Anka fans, but it wouldn't be unusual. I mean, people
0: are Polka fans. There are there are people I've seen them on TV. Yeah. You know, that's actually you're right. Foreign, you're right. Foreign-born yes. people who come yeah, here. Yeah, they come. Actually, he's he he from songs, the U.S. Yeah. Actually, I believe yeah. the guy. And uh, yeah, and he's uh, fantastic about. voice. I can't yeah. remember his name right now. He's absolutely great, mm-hmm. and he's Inca uh, pro, um, right up with the with the top peoples. Put out albums mm-hmm. and everything like that. Mm-hmm. So you need to do some Inca as well. Mm-hmm. Obviously, there's a market for it. Yeah, or maybe. else he wouldn't be in it. But you know,
1: speaking of you know, just the personal taste aspect of music. You know, um, we live in an age where, you know, like in global music, uh, there there's a wide variety, certainly. But you know, what is considered sort of the mainstream, I think, has always sort of been narrow. But it's it's more narrow now than really it's ever been. Uh, I think, yeah, a lot of the. <sighs> If we just look at Japanese music, there's like the AKB 48 phenomenon. Yes, yes. You know, and all the emulations of that, you know, that is what it is. You either like that or you don't or you're mm-hmm. indifferent to it. True. You know, if you're a jazz fan, you know, you're you're likely to be more of a very serious music listener, you know, mm-hmm. at a technical level. Um, because it requires effort to actually appreciate, you know, and understand jazz, I think, you know. and there are other musics that are, you know, in that way as well. But, you know, the point I'm trying to make is, um, I'm not so interested in those mainstream things that, you know, is already out there, I want to find these sort of like hidden gems. I see. Um, that has something a little bit unusual and un- maybe unorthodox about it, but mm-hmm. it's still accessible and not just like crazy off the wall or anything. But it's kind of like, whoa, that's different. And it's kind of like a little bit challenging, even in some cases. So, mm-hmm. like, but I do want to help. I do want to help the musicians first and foremost because you know the average musician, you know, they're they're great and and gifted and special, you know, just uh, because they're a musician. And people like that, you know, often. Um, you know, don't really have any acumen for the business side of it. And so they get taken advantage of and, you know, they don't make the money that they deserve to make from, you
0: know, the art and the work that they do. It's very difficult uh, to succeed, not just in music, but also in television, mm-hmm. uh, entertainment, or in comedy. Mm-hmm. Here in Japan, unless you have a, an office, a talent mm-hmm. uh, agency that works with you. Mm-hmm. So in a sense, um Ubique's new explorations into the world of, mm-hmm. of uh, entertainment production mm-hmm. is going to be in a way like a talent agency, or a record label that, that the people can can rely on to help them get their stuff out there.
1: Yeah. Well, I, I don't know that talent agency would be the right model. But um, we're, we're talking to a a record company in the United States based in Denver called Color Red, Mm -hmm. and they're coming into the Japanese market. And so Mm -hmm. it's likely we'll be tying up with them and helping them, helping each other in some way. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And they, first and foremost, you know, it was started by, you know, a musician um, who, you know, was, you know, philosophically, you know, his headspace is the same as where I am. You know, it's like he could see that, you know, there's all these great musicians that all they just want to do is play and but they're not able to sort of like live by just playing just because they don't have their their music business their their business house in order sure and they don't know how to get it in order right you know they don't have their publishing in order you know even simple things that's just the the basic thing every musician should have taken care of it's you know it's complex and not so easy to deal with you know requires lawyers and you know all kinds of you know layers that don't really mix well with you know the creativity of making music Mm. right So Color Red is really basically established, you know, help, you know, basically be a haven for artists to come in. They've built a studio and so people can come in and like play and record. And they just basically record live in the studio and put out records and they've put out dozens of records so far and they want to grow and they want to get involved in like every type of, you know, genre of music. And again, it just comes back around to what I was, you know, the original point I was trying to make is, you know, People like what they like and, you know, as a small sort of enterprise, you know, wanting to help, you know, musicians, mm. you know, I just want to focus on sort of things that I can really relate to the type of music that, you know, really gets, you know, gets me started up and going, you know, and not just music for music's sake, to be honest. Sure. Um, you were also a guitar player in my younger days, yeah, so I was, you know, I was in a band and, oh, uh, yeah. And I was more into like harder, you know, edgier music, mm-hmm. industrial
0: type, you know, Do darker music. Darker music. Yeah. yeah, I wonder how that works. You mean metal? That's one of <laughs> one of many <laughs> dark things. One of many dark things. Yeah. Um, you uh, uh, with your uh, this new sort of enterprise into the entertainment music industry. Um, is Ubique basically going to be outbound, or is there also an inbound component? It's, it's both, yes. We're looking at, um, as I say,
1: sort of the common theme is something like unusual, unorthodox, but still accessible. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we have we, we're interested in Japanese acts, and we're also interested in foreign acts. Uh, We're based here, so the most important thing is, you know, what we can do for Japanese acts going abroad. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we do know people in the industry here and we do, uh, you know, associate with, you know, the opposite, you know, foreign acts that are coming in through here uh, that the Japanese love uh, or discovering. And, you know, we want to help, you know, them as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, so we're starting out, basically, we'll release, you know, one Japanese act and one foreign act as sort of just sort of to get our model started. And then we'll just add other acts from there going forward. How did Ubik start? Ubik started uh, because, let's see... There was a gentleman named Michael Hoover that uh, I had known since the early nineteen nineties. Uh, he was a translator back when I met him. He's originally from Baltimore, in the United States, mm-hmm. and uh, we did a project together uh, for Yamaha musical instruments. And then that was yeah you know, ninety two, and then we sort of kept in touch over the years. In some cases, we did some other work together. He, he uh, joined a big Japanese company and hired me to, do, to make some things for him. Then um, we just kept in touch and we were good. We were good mates. And then in yeah 2014 we bumped into each other in Shinbashi, just in the middle of nowhere. hadn't seen each other for a couple of years. And Shinbashi said, is a great place to bump into people. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, surprisingly, he told me he was quitting that company. He'd been there for a long time, and he said he wanted to start his own company. And, so and then he said, well, hey, why don't we just talk and see what we're both up to? And I, I was at a stage right then that I, I had a freelance business, so I, I couldn't take it to a higher level without some help or some partner. And so it just kind of, you know, both of us were in the right place at the right time. so I merged my freelance business with, you know, uh, a sort of a, a company that he had already established. And then we changed the name to Ubique. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, we started out. Doing uh, yeah, some simple copywriting-oriented work. And then, and then we both went out together and started making sales calls. And before you knew it, we started picking up some really nice work. And we've been at this for five years now. And yes. Uh, nice little tight boutique. Creative production boutique is probably the
0: best mm-hmm. way to, to define it. Mm-hmm. What were the challenges in setting up Ubique and getting, uh, let's say, getting momentum or traction as you started out?
1: Well, we already had it because, uh, as I said, uh, I had a freelance copywriting business. Mm -hmm. So I had like multiple clients and I was doing work regularly. So it was literally just a matter of like uh, going to them and say, okay, I'm establishing a company here with a business partner. And then when they see that, oh, you're doing that, that's great, no, you've got help here. And then they can see that there's more capacity involved. So, you know, as the new, you know, company um i think we just looked more attractive uh and then as i say we just started adding we added a we added a full-time copywriter and translator and then we added a full-time graphic uh art graphic uh, graphic designer and uh, video editor and then we hired a full-time account handler and uh right now yeah, we we basically
0: got all the the core basis covered and yeah we're moving right along so in a way it was a reformulation of two existing uh businesses not one one might have been a company one might have been a freelance operation yes it was a reformulation of the two uh a synergy
1: it was and and the synergy really worked and i actually knew it was going to work because i knew the person michael hoover you know very well and i sort of you know we both had worked together you know uh, enough over the years to know what we were both getting into as far
0: as like the personalities and you know, strengths and weaknesses of each other. How important is Japanese language ability in working in the particular industry you're in? I think it's critical. Yeah.
1: Um, I think that's critical, and I actually think that it's critical to have had spent time working inside a a big Japanese company. Um, Which you have done. Which I've done. Yes, and I actually... The decision making process, you know, all the things that are taken for granted inside, you know, a Japanese company, you know, when you've experienced it and then you go back outside and then you're trying to work with a Japanese company. If you're trying to get a budget approved, you know, that's one of the most frustrating, you know, aspects of doing business here. If you've had experience inside Japanese companies, then, you know, you're basically okay. You know, you understand the process and, you know, at a certain point, you know, the money's going to roll in. Uh, you've just got to get started with the business. You might have, you know, somebody, you know, who's your your biggest fan inside, you know, the client, uh, and they're doing everything they can, everything they can, to get things moved along. But then there's some, you know, there's some kind of. You know, reason that you know they can't you know move forward. <laughs> having Which, been inside, I can imagine like fifteen different things. Like, oh yeah, so it's sitting on so and so's desk, or you know, this. Yes, but you're when you're, you're being not, very diplomatic when, when you're having this. I am, but, <laughs> but you know, I just, I just think that that yeah, uh, the, the language skill absolutely. Um, you know, it doesn't have to be 100% perfect, you know, you don't have to be at a translator level, but you do have to be able to talk to people, and you do have to be able to, you know, I think, stand up and make presentations, you have to be persuasive in Japanese, Um, you have to be, you know, I guess, what is it, empathetic, or, I mean, you have to understand enough about, you know, Japanese, uh, you know, the stresses that they have, you know, there's just a lot of things, there's just a lot of restrictions that you know, apply to, you know,
0: business let's here. Let's you know. talk about them. Okay. Some of the restrictions. For example, what do you think? The ones that you're referring to? Well, I think it's the dominance hierarchy,
1: you know, it's probably the main one. You know, there's, you know, nobody's ever really equal, I think, in these organizations. Somebody's always got an up on or down on somebody else, right? And Vertical. Yeah, it's extremely it's strictly vertical right mm-hmm. i mean regardless of what what is said it is very and it's also a very top-down sort of culture very, uh in contrast to what you know conventional wisdom says oh it's it's bottom up it's not really you know if you get decisions made at the top things move very fast if you try to get things
0: rolling from the bottom it's extremely slow and might just never work you know and if you try years, years later <laughs> five years later i've experienced uh, very similar things and if you try to uh, get that decision from the top mm. to move things through very quickly without moving it up from the bottom through the proper channels that's right it's a very that's right it's a pincher movement it's a pincher <laughs> movement it, and it becomes a very negative thing uh, it will make you enemies and oh, that's right and that's it right. can actually even if back you, in your career. even if you did a good
1: thing ultimately you know you'll be penalized for it it's, yes. it's not by any means
0: necessary when, when it comes to getting things done. Yeah. Sure. Process-oriented. Oh, yes. oh, yes. Very much. Yeah. How about you, Ubique?
1: The culture that we're trying to, you know, put in place, uh, first and foremost starts with, you know, um, self-motivation, the ability to, like, you know, organize one's schedule and not needing to be micromanaged. I mean, we we can micromanage if we have to, but we don't want to. We don't want to be working with people that need to be told what to do. Um, you know, we tend to hire really smart, intelligent people that know what they're doing, uh, give them the tools, the resources, uh, and the guidance, you know, and support they need to do it and then get out of their way and let them do it. And that's working out reasonably well for us so far. Um, Yeah. We live, we live in an age of like hot desking, you know, and, uh, there are just a lot of people that are, you know, kind of like free and moving around with their laptops and, you know, their, you know, digital devices and you can literally work anywhere, anytime. Um, and we want people, you know, here at the office, you know, every day, you know, on the clock, Mm -hmm. but if. They're ill or, you know, even if they've just got a sniffle or something and, you know, uh, instead of bringing your sniffle into the office, just, you know, work work at home. Uh, And, you know, you still should be able to have exactly the same output. If there's a meeting, you can Skype you in, you know, so we've got all these these tools. And so, um, yeah, we're very much a physical, you know, office. But at the same time, you know, I think remote working is is an important Part of the culture. Um, Especially I ages. do it quite a lot. Coronavirus. And, yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. That's a little uh, bit scary. Uh, it's funny you say that because, yes, there's, I mean, that's what's happening. I mean, there was, there was, um, there has been this sort of uh, talk about, okay, when the Olympics come here in 2020, we don't need, to, you know, all the people commuting to work, you know, and uh, people are going to have to, like, volunteer to, you know, we work, remo- work remotely at home. Then there's sort of, you know, there's some people are like, oh, no, it's going to be too big of a disruption. That would never work here in Japan. Well, now they don't really have a choice. You know, with the coronavirus, there's a lot of companies that said, you know, stay at home. And they're working from home and they're finding that it's not really that big of an issue. Sure. So, so it's you know, it's becoming, even that is becoming Japanese, I think, in its own way. You know, just that method of working.
0: What is the meaning of the word ubique?
1: Well, it doesn't really mean anything. Uh, when I was searching for a name, when I was coming up with a name. The most important thing for me was that it would be easy for the Japanese to say, mm-hmm. and easy for non-Japanese to say. It, it derives, of course, from what is it? Ubiqui, which is a you know the Latin word for I guess ubiquitous, uh, everywhere, mm-hmm. right? So that works fine for uh, what we're doing, you know. So if we're helping Japanese companies, you know communicate everywhere you be it, it makes sense as the name
0: what's next after you get this entertainment portion built
1: i think what's next is literally uh, you know uh, it's one thing to to find artists and make those artists music available it's like how to uh, you know it's going to be a big enterprise to uh, to put a system in place that's going to allow people to find that music Mm -hmm. purchase that music um so i actually want to explore podcasts like using maybe a podcast show about japanese music artists um a format like this where the artist and a and a host you know a bilingual host you know could sit down and talk to a japanese person and, and 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 have them say whatever they want to say and know that people overseas are like, you know, able to understand what they're saying. They can say it in their own language and the host can say it for them, for example, or you can lay in subtitles. But I think a a recurring show where, you know, as I say, even similar to this one, where every show is a different artist talking about themselves and you can, you know, be exposed to them and their music. Mm -hmm. Um, That's what the real next goal is, is, is to get some kind of Publicity,
0: you know, operation in place like that. I think it's a good idea. Podcasting is interesting because, like we're doing right now, <clears throat> uh, my audience uh, gets to know you. I mean, all the great things you do, but also you, like, as a person. Mm-hmm. What, the, what you think, mm-hmm. what, what your opinions are about things. And it's very human and very warm. Mm-hmm. Um, by having a podcast, you know, artists who put out a CD or put out music on iTunes or whatever... It's the music. There's no person there. It's just the music. Yeah? Yes. But having a podcast format, somewhere where you can yeah. talk, uh, you know, extract from them strange, quirky things about them mm-hmm. that, that add that human element, I think it's a great idea.
1: Well, that's what I want to do. And part of the people that we're working with is, you know, also thinking about the same idea. So we're so I'm going to see what we can do to make it happen. You no, know? I don't, you know, fortunately with, you know, this type of, you know, gear and the technical, aspects it's it's not a money you know it's not cost prohibitive you, you do need good ideas and you do need to be able to to bring in you know need good people
0: yes it's tough to get guests mm-hmm. to be honest um Brilliant. it is yes yes it's tough to get guests in Japan. sorry uh, sorry it took so long to return your call yes uh, asshole <laughs> anyways <laughs> it, it's tough to get japanese guests because this is actually something we should explore together as we're talking about this since you brought up podcasting okay um uh, it it's not as common here in Japan as it is outside Japan nor is it as well understood um there is a market for it of course but a lot of people that i've spoken to trying to get a lot of japanese guests on my show um are reluctant to be on camera um or reluctant to have their name used mm. and it's a it's a real challenge because there are some fantastic people doing fantastic things uh, but to get them actually on screen in some sort of a format that can be shared with the world is uh, a lot more difficult than one might think. I, I can see it because, you know, they, they
1: sort of many are just over the top when it comes to, you know, like, oh, that's personal information. Oh,
0: you know, they'll take pictures of everything, but they don't want any pictures taken of them, you know. So. Mm hmm. So I guess in your case, if there are already musicians that you'll be talking to, or yeah. people that are trying to get their stuff out there. I'm hoping there'll
1: be exhibitions. Yes.
0: <laughs> there'll be no inclination to stay mm-hmm. anonymous. Yeah. Very good. I would expect this. Yes. Let's talk about people who are interested in coming to Japan to work. Yeah. In a place like, for example, a place like um, What is What would be your advice or your, your thoughts that you might say to somebody who's considering that? Well, I always know before you go
1: um i think i think that you know, language skills are important you don't have to be a perfect japanese speaker but you know you do need to put some effort into sort of figuring out some basics so that you know um you're not completely you know shut off when you get here um and I think certainly having having an, a, a real interest in J- Japan is is important. Um, it's a unique place in its own way. I mean, all places are. But Japan, because it's been sort of isolated compared to most other countries, uh, it sort of developed its own civilization and its own way of doing things,
0: and those need to be respected. Yeah. So you've been here 35 years. Yeah. Don't say it like that. Okay, <laughs> you've been in Japan a long time. Okay. <laughs> what is your favorite? Let's say three things about Japan. Well, this is no order. Yes, um, yes, 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 yes.
1: But I mean, certainly, you know, this an easy one—the food. You know, because sure. the you know, the, the the food culture here is just phenomenal. Nobody dislikes Japanese food. I've never met one. Or even if you do, it, it just means you haven't an, an experience. You know, you haven't right. exposed to enough of it, you know, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. there's everything under the sun, right? So, yeah, the food definitely, I mean, to a large degree, that might be what's keeping me here. Um, I definitely, you know, respect the um, the safety, uh, the, um, the overall sort of respect for, uh, you know, other person's property, you know. We've all heard stories, and this happened to me as well. Where, you know, I've lost my wallet, and you know, I try to retrace my steps, and either at the the, the, the retail shop or the, the nearby police, you know, station. You know, they will have it, and all the money will be in there. You know, that you know it's just an endless, you know, source of respect. You know.
0: That happened to me um, uh, many years ago. I put my bag. And it had my passport in it Mm -hmm. and it had my wallet Mm -hmm. and uh, some other personal things. Mm -hmm. And I put it on the rack on the top of, you know, above the the handles of the Mm -hmm. train uh, where you stand. And walked off the train, forgetting that I had put my bag up on the the rack. Mm -hmm. And I was terrified. My passport was in it. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) That's a scary thing when you're passportless in a foreign country. That's right. And uh so I went to the station master, told him I uh, forgot my bag on the train. It's got everything in there. I'm kind of stuck. I'm in, I'm in real trouble. And uh, he had a team of other station masters waiting at the final station on that train line. They walked into the train the moment it arrived at its final station, got my bag, took it off, everything was there, all the money, passport, and they'd say, Come pick it up, it's waiting for you. That's pretty sweet.
1: I hear stories like that, you know, probably at, at least once a week. You know, I just hear it all the time. You know, I even heard it just the other day. Somebody came in and I was talking to them. And their mother was had, was visiting and, you know, from the States. And same thing, you know, just this went missing. They retraced their steps. Bang, got it right back. Very nice. Now, that's the second that's thing. The third yes. thing is, uh, you know, the third thing... Again, there could be a hundred things, but I think the third thing, you know, the top three would be because I was here, you know, and experienced the 2011 earthquake and sort of mm-hmm. the way be- people behave when something, you know, that drastic happens, um and the discipline and sort of the, you know, the helping of each other, um, and yeah, the, the the standing in line and and know, it's, you know, it's, it's a highly stressful situation and, you know, don't know what's going to happen next. And I just think it's great. You know, I mean, it's just this, you know, the fortitude required to actually, and, you know, behave that way at a time like that, you know, because you could just feel the you could just feel the fear in the air you know, Mm -hmm. at the time, you know, like the several days, you know, afterwards, and because there's there's all the aftershocks, and the uncertainty, and everybody's sort of in a state of shock anyway, and even the ones that didn't experience, like I did, and you you saw those images of the tsunami, you know, the tidal waves coming in, it's kind of like, you know, takes a while for that to to, to register in the brain, you know, Mm. at the same time that you don't know what's gonna happen next, and everything seems so surreal. (laughs)
0: it was a magnitude 9.0 earthquake well it lasted so long it lasted lasted like five minutes almost uh depending on where you are Uh, it's even longer
1: i think down tokyo area here you have four and a half five minutes i mean that's
0: that's a long song you know (laughs) (laughs) for a musical person (laughs) that's not a tune i like very much so what's next for kevin hamilton you know, you'll be able to find me in Tokyo.
1: Uh, just, um, yeah, I enjoy what I'm doing. Um, you know, I enjoy working with a lot of different people, and a lot of creative people. and um, Yeah, as I say, Japan, this, I just really, you know, Tokyo fits me well. I, I, it's just an exciting place to be. It's always changing. It's a bit noisy. In fact, uh, I read the other day, it's the noisiest city in the world. I don't like that so much about it. I but, don't uh, either. Yeah. Mm. Um. But yeah, um, it's you know people like us, you and me. We're uh, of course non-Japanese and um, never will be Japanese, but uh, we've managed to sort of like find our own you know niche here that works for us. And there is, of course, as international people living in Tokyo, there is a sub-international subculture of a, you know, of all major cities around the world, this exists. But the average Japanese doesn't know about it. You know, there's just, you know, there's subcultures everywhere, the whole international layer. And even people from different nationalities, you know, can sort of mingle around, you know, in ways that they couldn't make in where they're from.
0: There's always something for someone here. There is. For everybody. Something for everyone.
1: There is, and I just find that, you know, stimulates. It's, It's invigorating, you know, I can get points of view. Uh, directly from, you know, people. And, you know, that's one of the good things about being able to speak Japanese is that, you know, it's great to speak to Japanese in Japanese. Uh, I'd prefer to speak English, you know, if someone's English is better than my Japanese. Mm-hmm. Um, but speaking Japanese with foreigners who, don't, who are here who do not speak English is actually quite a satisfying thing to do. Mm-hmm. You know, to be able to just not not even think about it, but just talk in Japanese and talk about something, and otherwise we wouldn't be able to do that because they don't speak English and I don't speak their language.
0: I, I really like that. Do you ever get outside the city, the great city of Tokyo, and its I'm getting out more and more.
1: Um, I'm, I've always been a bit of a workaholic. Uh, you know. Uh, Whenever I got some free time, I, I I didn't want to go anywhere, you know, I just, just wanted to chill, you know, and there's plenty to do in Tokyo and Yokohama area and Kamakura, you know, within, you know, forty five minutes of Tokyo. Sure. So there's so many places you can go sure. and so many right, things yeah. you do. But yeah, I that's maybe that, that's a better answer to your question. What's next for me is like, yeah, I would like to just hop on a train or a plane and go somewhere and rent a car and, you know, drive into deep Japan. I'd like to I'd have to actively do that. Rather than just, uh, oh, I'm going somewhere on business and maybe I'll take an extra day and see some things. Like, no, let me just
0: forget about business and go see. Go go enjoy this country. The countryside and the local food and all of the scenery and sights. Yeah. Uh, Congratulations on five years of successful uh, business with UE. Thank you. And uh, it's always good to talk with you. Uh, Thank you for being a guest on Longyear Japan. Thank you very much. Appreciate you having me. Bye, Kevin. Okay. okay. Goodbye. Thanks for listening to the Ronjiro Japan podcast. If you like the show and want to learn more, check out www.ronjirojapan.com. That's wwwr onjirujapa Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and share. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter and watch the videos of the episodes on our YouTube channel. All the details are on the website and in the description for this episode. Keep on following the discussion. I look forward to talking to you again in the next episode. From Ronjiru, Japan, in Tokyo, I've been your host, JT. Until next time, Ogenki Dene.